This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Art Curious, Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History is a brand new book with lots of weird and wildly entertaining stories that haven't been covered on this podcast. Stories like the rise of everybody's favorite painter of the pretty, Claude Monet, and how all those water lilies and haystacks were actually subversive badassery. How some late 19th and early 20th century women may possibly be the first abstract artists. And what do toenail clippings and a chunk of Caroline Kennedy's birthday cake have to do with one of Andy Warhol's most enduring legacies. Art Curious, the book, will be released on September 15, 2020, but you can pre-order now to reserve your copy. Pre-order links are available in the show notes or at our website, artcuriouspodcast.com slash book. That's artcuriouspodcast.com slash book. This season of the Art Curious Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Anchor Light. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com to learn all about their artist residency programs, exhibitions, and more. How would you define a cool artist? It's pretty subjective, don't you think? What's cool to me may be boring to you. And I'll admit that for this season of Art Curious, I'm definitely the one making the call here. It's my prerogative as the host, I suppose, that I get to talk about the stuff that I find interesting or curious. For me, many of the artists that are part of our discussion over the next few months aren't included because I think that their art is the best ever, or probably isn't something that I'd choose to hang on my own wall if I were given the chance. But for me, the cool factor is all about highlighting artists who maybe don't get as much cred today as they should. Ones who might get overlooked when you're bombarded with the big names that everyone seems to know off the tip of their tongues. You know the drill. It's all Picasso and Warhol and Dali and Monet and blah de blah And it's not that I don't love those guys too, but it's also nice to shine the light on somebody else for a change of pace. Especially when those artists are still, perhaps quietly, considered some of the most important artists from our own country. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, crazier, or more fun than you can imagine. In season seven, we are uncovering the coolest artists that you don't know. And today, we're looking at the life of Henry Osawa Tanner, the first African-American artist to receive true international acclaim in his lifetime. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. Now, first things first. For this season of The Coolest Artist You Don't Know, I have got to admit two things. One is that for many of you listeners who are already pretty engaged in art and art history, a good number of these artists will be familiar to you already. And a second point. 
Some of them, like Henry Ossowa Tanner, aren't little-known or minor artists either. But to the everyday listener, maybe someone like me once upon a time who didn't think art was very interesting at all, and yeah, that was me about 20 years ago, then Tanner's name doesn't necessarily have that same kind of recognition that Kahlo or Picasso or Monet warrant. Nevertheless, he was a really important artist and continues to be so, an artist who is frequently atop many American museums' list of most coveted potential acquisitions. Henry Ossawa Tanner was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on June 21, 1859 to Reverend Benjamin Tucker Tanner, a bishop of the African Methodist Church, and Sarah Tanner, his wife who was a former slave who escaped captivity via the Underground Railroad. The first few years were a little unstable in terms of family life for little Henry, as he and his family moved several times due to his father's constant reassignments to several different churches and schools. A preacher's life, especially at that time, was very typically in flux. Finally, in 1868, when Henry was nine years old, the Tanner family opted to settle long-term in Philadelphia. And it was in Philadelphia where inspiration struck for the very first time. While on a casual walk through the park with his father one day, Tanner came across a man painting a landscape. And that was it. Watching the man work, casually dabbing at his canvas, it changed Henry's life course. Because it was in that instant, he says, that he knew he wanted to become an artist. From then on, Henry Tanner jumped into an intense amount of self-education, spending much of his free time drawing, painting, and going to visit Philadelphia's art galleries. He was so inspired and elated by what he experienced, by what he saw, but his parents didn't really feel the same way. They, especially old Papa Tanner, really discouraged this burgeoning interest because, well, you know, a career in art didn't seem as promising as a job in finance or from a security standpoint. Oh, how little things change. However, their disapproval did not stop Henry. And if anything, it motivated him to work harder, to study more, and to become admitted to one of the best art schools in the nation, which he was. In 1879, he was admitted to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, a huge coup for any art student but even bigger in Henry's case because he was one of the first African-American students to be admitted, ever. Remember that this was less than two decades after the end of the Civil War and the abolition of slavery. And previous to this time, Tanner had been denied access to many art apprenticeships because some were hesitant to accept an African-American studio assistant or apprentice. We'll be coming back to Tanner's experience with racism in a moment, but suffice to say, that the PAFA wanted him, and he was given the opportunity to work with an incredible artist and teacher, Thomas Aikens, the renowned painter whom we discussed in season five of the Art Curious podcast as part of our year-long shock art series. That's episode number 48 if you want to go back and take another listen. Tanner thrived under Aikens' tutelage. Aikens was innovative in his methods of portraying human anatomy, encouraging both study from the nude model of both sexes, gasp, and even the dissection of corpses to foster a better understanding of the human body. Hence, Aikens' most famous work, The Gross Clinic, which we've discussed previously on the show. His methods and his positive and inspiring encouragement of his students made Aikens very popular, and Tanner loved working with him, as many others did. 
What was really special, though, was that Aikens felt similarly about Tanner. Henry Tanner became one of his favorite students, and the two went on to become good friends. So much so that 20 years after they met, Aikens went on to paint a portrait of Henry Tanner. That's quite a testament to their friendship, and probably to Tanner's own artistic status by that point. But we're getting a little ahead of the story here. Though Henry Tanner did very well at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, he didn't end up graduating. He actually ended up moving away from Philadelphia, primarily because of, you guessed it, racism. Even though Pennsylvania is a northern state and was thus part of the Union during the Civil War, it nevertheless was very deeply connected to the American South because of several prominent farming and commercial families that still centered their businesses in the South. That meant that there was some definite unfriendly vibes towards African Americans in the air there. Making matters worse was that the major influx of African Americans who moved north after the abolition of slavery meant that many of the cities in the Union were suddenly full of black folks, and white immigrants from European countries who were already having a difficult time adjusting to American life were further displeased that African Americans were additional competition in their eyes for very good jobs. All of this combined into a poisonous atmosphere for many, and Tanner was included. In his autobiography, The Story of an Artist's Life, Tanner elegantly but excruciatingly shares his experiences, writing, quote, I was extremely timid, and to be made to feel that I was not wanted, especially in a place where I had every right to be. Even months afterward, it caused me some weeks of pain. Every time one of those disagreeable incidents came to my mind, my heart sank, and I was anew tortured by the thought of what I had endured, almost as much as the incident itself. Unquote. It is probable that this is why Tanner ended up leaving the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts and leaving Pennsylvania altogether in 1889. Given his experiences, it's not surprising that Henry Tanner wanted to hightail it out of PA. He also wanted to hightail it out of the United States entirely, with highest of hopes of going to Paris, which at the time was all the rage with American artists who wanted to experience Impressionism and then later post-Impressionism firsthand. Plus, Tanner was not only depleted from the racism that plagued America, but sadly, it had plagued the American art world in general, too. Think about representation alone here. At this time, and for much too long after, African Americans were often portrayed either as caricatures with grossly exaggerated features or as figures trapped in the despairs of poverty. There was little to no variation in how they were represented which Tanner, and African Americans in general, found both insulting and untrue. He yearned to live and work in Europe, which seems to be a far more liberal and accepting environment at that time. But Tanner needed to save up a little bit of money first. He settled in Atlanta and opened a photography studio. But unfortunately, due to weak sales and unstable finances, he was unable to keep up with operations and was forced to sell his business. Around that time, though, there was a bright spot on the horizon. During this period, he met the Reverend Joseph Crane Hartzell, a bishop of the African Methodist Church, just like his father had been. Hartzell took a shine to Tanner and to Tanner's paintings, so he arranged for Tanner to teach drawing at the nearby Clark University, an all-black college. So his employment options post-gallery were finally looking up. Even better, Hartzell arranged for Tanner to have an exhibition of his works in Cincinnati. 
Although none of the works sold during the run of the exhibition, there was, again, another wonderful opportunity from this. Hartzell and his wife bought all of the pieces, all of the Cincinnati paintings, thus providing Henry Tanner with enough money to finally pursue his dreams of going to Europe. And that's coming up next, right after this break. Stay with us. By listening to this podcast, you can probably tell that I love learning. And one of my favorite resources to discover great new information is The Great Courses Plus. This streaming service offers unlimited access to learn about virtually anything you want, like learning how to draw from an accomplished artist, or how to take better photos from National Geographic photographers. Or you can explore all kinds of other topics on literature, business, history, personal development, and even learn how to develop new hobbies like yoga or chess. With The Great Courses Plus, there are thousands of fun and informative lectures for you to explore, all of which are presented by engaging experts who are not only knowledgeable, but so passionate about their subjects, which of course makes learning a blast. But don't just take my word for it. This is what other learners have had to say about The Great Courses Plus. One person said, I have already learned more than I could ever have dreamed I would. And then another person said, this is a steal considering how much you will learn and improve your life. For art-curious listeners, I recommend checking out their course, How to Paint. I myself have basically about zero artistic skills and have always been in awe of those who create. But in this course, Professor Ricky Ullman reminds us that learning to be an artist is often about practicing and taking the time to develop your technique. Plus, he shares great key strategies that he's learned to make the job of learning how to paint easier on you. So that includes everything from choosing effective, inexpensive equipment to using the right brushes and paint. So see why thousands of other learners are subscribed to The Great Courses Plus. They're offering a free trial with unlimited access to the entire library. So sign up today using my special URL to take advantage of this great deal. Start your free trial at thegreatcoursesplus.com art. Remember, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com art. When you are off your schedule, it can be pretty easy to let things go off the rails. And that's why I'm taking advantage of Care Of to make health and wellness a top priority for me right now. Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term, all with a hassle-free quality that you'll love. So whether you're focused on getting glowing skin, boosting your energy levels, getting more sleep, or just generally being healthier, Care Of has something for you. And their new line, the Skin and Hair Collection, helps me to work on my beauty goals from the inside out, which is extra cool. It can be hard to really know what vitamins or supplements we should be taking, but Care Of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. And they do this through a really fun and very quick online quiz. It took me less than five minutes, and I was able to answer questions 
guidance about diet, health goals, lifestyle choices, everything from how much sleep do you get to how much sleep do you want and how often do you work out so that I could be sure that the vitamins and powders that I get are specifically targeted to me. It sure doesn't hurt to see these little packets with my name stamped on them. And with Care Of, you not only get to do something good for yourself, but also for the planet because Care Of's individual eco-friendly packs are made of compostable films. And then there is tons of information on the Care Of website that shows you exactly how to compost this easily. So what's not to love? For 50% off, that's five zero, off your first Care Of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code ARTCURIOUS50. That's takecareof.com and enter promo code ARTCURIOUS50, all one phrase, for 50% off your first Care Of order. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome back to Art Curious. Henry Ossowa Tanner left for Paris in 1891 and enrolled in the Académie Julienne, the famed private art school that fostered the education of many from around the world, including a hearty slew of American art students at various times, like Cecilia Bowe, Thomas Hart Benton, Child Hassam, and John Singer Sargent, among many, many others. And there, at the Académie Julienne, he flourished. His instructors, Jean-Paul Laurence and Benjamin Constant, guided him in his efforts, as did Tanner's ongoing self-study at places like the Louvre, where he was especially impressed by Gustave Courbet's depictions of everyday people. This was huge to Tanner, who wanted to do the same. He wanted to elevate the ordinary into an extraordinary depiction, and he wanted to do that especially for portrayals of the black body. We can easily trace a line from Tanner's own experiences with racism, as well as the stereotypical and unfavorable representation of African Americans in the art world during this period, all the way down to his first major work, which is perhaps his most famous work of art. The Banjo Lesson, an 1893 painting, depicts an elderly African American man teaching a young boy, presumably his grandson, how to play the titular instrument. This precious and human interaction between two generations provides a more positive and accurate depiction of an African-American familial experience. The work itself is tender, sensitive, painted in muted neutral tones and with this glowing warmth. Together, the old man and the young boy are immersed in their efforts, oblivious to the gaze of us, the viewers, as they turn towards one another and to the musical instrument. It's really beautiful. It's a work that instills me with this sense of calm, a feeling of joy and love. And what a nice change this must have been to see African-Americans presented in such an ordinary way. Ordinary, in the most blissful, positive sense. And considering its subject matter was, at the time, so closely tied to the stereotypes, in particular the African-American minstrel, for example, who would often be shown playing the banjo in other 19th century scenes. This particular image was a revelation, a gentle shaking of the tree by an artist who quickly began to establish himself as the preeminent African-American artist of his generation and the first black artist to attain international recognition during his lifetime. 
no small feat. What's interesting about the banjo lesson and its rightfully hallowed place within Tanner's artistic output is that this kind of subject matter was a focus of the artists for only a very brief window of time, and yet it has become one of his most lauded works. For the majority of his career, in fact, Tanner became famous for his religious works, works that were primarily focusing on images and stories from Christianity. In 1896, his painting Daniel in the Lion's Den, which portrays a most dramatic moment in the life of Daniel, the Old Testament biblical figure, which was a subject matter long of interest to visual artists and one that was seemingly receiving a spike of renewed interest in the 19th century. Tanner's version was awarded an honorable mention at that year's Salon, that yearly art event that was for many decades the most prestigious showing of art in France and possibly in all of Europe. With this commendation, Tanner had a revelation of his own. He realized that religion was a more palatable subject for a larger span of audiences. As a result, he set aside works that fit into what he called the Negro genre, and he dove wholeheartedly into painting religious scenes instead. Many art historians and scholars today find this shift in subject matter regrettable on Tanner's part. For had he continued with it, he would have made a far more lasting impact on 20th century African-American portraiture and beyond. But as an African-American artist working at the end of the 19th century, his success almost entirely depended on the patronage of white Europeans and Americans. And it was the religious genre that seemed to have captured their attention the most. Not that Tanner's concern about prejudice and the struggle for racial equality took a back seat just because his subject matter shifted. After the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP for short, was founded in 1909, Tanner joined and became a loyal contributor, even while living abroad. He was also close friends with early generation civil rights leaders James Weldon Johnson, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Booker T. Washington, who visited him in Paris in 1899 and even sat for a portrait there. Any opportunity and or project that could help advance young African-American artists, Tanner was there and ready to assist whenever he could. Still, many historians have lamented the shift from the naturalistic portrayal of African-Americans as protagonists in Henry Tanner's works, because it is probably true that he could have gone on to even greater achievements in racial parody in the visual arts. Certainly, it may have helped him stand out a bit more in our history books. But... Tanner was right on in his instincts to switch over to something more palatable. Because, let's be honest, his patrons, just as many art patrons are now, were wealthy white folks. They were the ones with the money. They were the ones that at the time could buy his art and support him. And it worked. It was indeed a good financial decision for him, from this critical standpoint at least. In 1896, the same year he was celebrated for Daniel in the Lion's Den, he painted yet another super dramatic biblical scene, this time from the New Testament, the resurrection of Lazarus. And just as within Daniel and the Lion's Den, this painting was lauded from here to eternity, no pun intended. Tanner, it seems, had made it, officially rising to the upper echelons of the artistic elite. And it caught the attention of many. Most notably, Tanner ended up in the sights of a man named Rodman Wanamaker, a Philadelphia department store magnate and patron of the arts. A devout Christian, Wanamaker believed that a visit to the Middle East was a must for anyone interested in depicting biblical events in the visual arts. 
and thus he approached Henry Tanner with a remarkable proposal, an all-expenses-paid trip for Tanner to the Middle East. And because Tanner was no dummy, he accepted the offer. So in the late 1890s, he traveled to Palestine, where he not only visited numerous holy sites central to both the Christian and Muslim faiths, but also keenly studied the landscape and people of the region, something which served him well for the remainder of his career, as he endeavored to stay devoted to an accurate sense of realism in his works. Again, this treated him very well, and in 1923, he was awarded what he would go on to call his life's greatest achievement. He was appointed Chevalier of the Legion of Honor, France's highest national order of merit. He died in Paris in 1937, at the age of 77. Henry Osawa Tanner was not only highly decorated and lauded during his lifetime, but his influence can be found in those who followed in his footsteps, including none other than Norman Rockwell, whose own illustrations have referenced some of Tanner's imagery, particularly his great banjo lesson. And the realization of his legacy has remained strong, so much so that he even has one considerable contemporary honor as a creator. His 1885 painting, Sand Dunes at Sunset, Atlantic City, was the first painting by an African-American artist to have been purchased for the White House's permanent art collection, which entered its newfound home during the Bill Clinton administration. Its inclusion is an important commentary. Here is one of the best artists of his country, not only in his own time, but now and always. Next time on the Art Curious Podcast, it is an artist who is very near and dear to my heart. Someone who was incredibly influential, superstar famous in her own day, and got huge international recognition for her paintings of animals. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with additional writing and research help by Adria Gunter. Our theme music is provided by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Social media help is by Emily Crockett and Caroline Holler. Audio production services are provided by Kabunki, the silliest name in superb podcasts and video. Let them help you too at kabonki.com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchor Light. Anchor Light is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchor Light encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. As always, if you enjoy the show and have the means, please consider giving us $10 to help us out. And thank you for your kindness. You can do that on our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. Help us as well by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more details on our show, including the image mentioned in the episode today, please visit our website, which again is artcuriouspodcast.com. Check back in two weeks as we continue to explore the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. Thank you.